I think to a degree at least, because a lot of LGBTQ members will come in to talk to church leaders and they will be like feeling really down about themselves, already be experiencing some shame, maybe judging themselves. And so like even small-ish responses like that from church leaders can just exacerbate the problem. Whereas if there's some empathic listening skills used of, let me hear you out, wow, that sounds like a lot. I want you to know I'm here for you. I'm open, like help me learn. I think that's a really clear way to avoid kind of the shame cycle and the judging, and maybe even to help the individual lessen those internal experiences as well. Hey, how's everybody doing? We all right? It's me, Richie. You know, the guy who does all the episodes of the cultural hall. I don't do it alone. There's lots of people that help me. Uh, tons of folks that do the social media stuff and handle the Patreon things and too many names to mention, especially since I'll forget someone and then they'll feel like I don't remember them, which is true in the moment, but not true in the grand scheme of things. So I just want to say a general thank you to everyone who helps out. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's found us on the back row. You can uh, like or you can follow us on Instagram. We're on, uh, you know, the Twitter. We also do the Facebook as well. You can find the Cultural Hall Back Row Facebook. Facebook group, which you have to be admitted into. It's really just a way that we can say, come on, be a Patreon saint. And you can also be a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, which means you put your money where your mouth is. Takes a lot, people. Two episodes a week, and now I'm doing it consistent? Are you kidding me? And you sit back there free on your back row? I don't want to guilt you, but I mean, if you have, you know, you have a couple bucks, some shekels, Maybe 2021 was a good year to you financially. Think about it. You can do one-time stuff. I won't stop you from that. Uh, would love to have you join us in whatever way you like possible. In fact, you know what? If you just want to listen to this episode of The Cultural Hall, you can just do that. Uh, maybe some empathic listening. Maybe we just listen with our minds and our hearts open to this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and uh, we got a couple people in here. Uh, we were joking before we started about how to pronounce their names, so let's hope that now, after all of that, their tutelage that they gave me, that I say it right, uh, joined by Tyler Lefevre and Sam Skidmore. You're thinking, I don't know who Tyler Lefevre or Sam Skidmore are. Well, by the end of this conversation, I think that uh, you're going to be excited to call them among friends. You probably saw recently in the news uh, the headline that said, what Mormon bishops should and should not say in counseling LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. It was a study that was done. I said, I would love to know more, and I don't want to read it. I just want to hear what they want to tell me about it. So uh, we welcome Tyler and Sam. Welcome in, you guys. Uh, thank you so much, Richie. Now, Absolutely. before we, we get to the study, I want to know a little bit about the two of you, who you guys are, why we embarked on the study, why you feel like this is important. So, uh, Tyler, I think you were first to join the Zoom call. Tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, for sure. So I am an assistant professor of psychology at Utah State. I grew up LDS and came out as queer in grad school and have since left the church, but I'm staying, I stay connected. My family and many close friends are active members of the church. And a lot of the energy from the study came from my own personal experiences of having talked with bishops and state presidents about being gay or queer and wanting to understand there the ways that we can help people understand what is better and worse. There are certainly better and worse practices bishops and state presidents can do. So I actually applied for a grant from uh, the Louisville Institute. They fund a lot of research on religion. And they said, cool, we'll give you some money to interview some people and see what you can find to help uh, bishops and state presidents. 
Now, I want to take a quick pause there because some some people, I know that we sort of say the uh, Q in LGBTQ+, but I don't know that people really understand what that is because they're like, well, if you're a if you're a Q, aren't you an L or a B or a G or a T? What how how do you make that distinction? Yeah, yeah. So I queer for me just says not straight. It's the way of kind of like a catch-all category, and I prefer it because to me, like my actual the, who I have sex with is really none of anyone's business. And so I like to lead with queer as just saying like, look, not straight. But I can also specify identify as gay. Like mostly, I have relationships with men. That's an interesting catch-all, and I think, uh, uh, you know, one for people that, you're right, it is none of our business. I wish we could get out of the business of knowing who any of us have sex with. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. Sort of an us and God thing, I, I, I think. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. If People get to talk. Yeah, Snoopy people. We got the, the Gladys. Uh, that's an old reference. You, the, the two of you young gentlemen won't know, but the Gladys that uh, is looking out the windows and see it. Anyway, we digress. Sam, tell me a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm a third year graduate student. So I'm working in Tyler Lefebvre's lab. Um, I grew up in the church as well. I feel like I have quite a similar story to Tyler's actually. Um, grew up in the church. And then during my undergraduate at BYU, I came out as gay and started taking steps toward leaving the church. Um, but I still, I have like all my family in the church and a lot of my close friends. And so it's really important to me to be able to build bridges between the two communities. Um, and so my personal research focuses a lot on how can we make this better? Like we understand that sometimes it doesn't go very well, but like what now? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's sort of my focus. That's why I'm here. One distinct difference that I noticed between you and Tyler is that you went to church and Tyler went to yeah. church. So where are you from? Where are I you from, Sam? two different organizations. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was born in England, and I'm actually very flattered that you noticed, because I yeah. feel like less people notice as I live in Utah longer and longer. <laughs> so th this study, uh, certainly, you probably understand that, that a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people, when they hear that it's two people that are no longer members of the church, they sort of dismiss it out of hand. Right. Absolutely. It, it's people that are there. They got the axe to grind the grudge. Why can't they just leave it to be? But if I'm hearing and reflecting what you guys said, both of you family, you know, most family still in the church and hoping to build a bridge, not not this is what you need to do different and how dare you and all that kind of stuff. Am I understanding correctly? Absolutely, Richie. And I think we've been really intentional. If you kind of look in the back catalog of our work that we really try and stay in this in between space. Because I think that there's a lot that the church does well. And when we study LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints, we really try and look at what goes well and what doesn't go well. Because so many, so much does go well that it's important to highlight that and not just talk about the flaws and what's really not working. So with each of your experiences, um, whether it be the the LGBTQ, the you know all those things, because I, I we'll, we'll just we'll just lump it as queer. I like that kind of onset that you did with this, Tyler. Uh, I, I would be curious to know sort of your experience, your personal experience, as you shared that with uh, religious leaders, and then how you made that exit. Uh, out of the church. And then in the later part of this episode, I really want to get into what you what we feel like people are doing so far off. And man, can we course correct any of this? Even just a little bit would be uh, great. And then the things that we're doing right on. So maybe walk me through your personal you know, journey with that. We'll start with Sam this time. Sorry, Tyler. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've had quite a few 
diverse experiences with church leaders, um, which also kind of helped me give the interviews because I feel like quite a few LGBTQ or queer people have had similar experiences. So I first came out to my mission president on my mission. Um, and I, at the time was just like, I don't really know what to do with this, but I have these feelings, like, please help. And he was so sweet, so kind. He was like, I'm here for you. I can give you a blessing if you'd like. Let me look into resources. I'm not really sure what to do. Um, but just know I think you're a really good person. And like we'll figure this out. How but, far into your mission were you at that point? Um, I was almost done, actually. I waited till the last about six months. Um, it was a new mission president, and I was working a bit more with him. And so I just like had developed more of a relationship and felt comfortable doing that. Hmm. Okay. And, yeah. And so resources available, and it's something that you probably didn't have a whole lot of time to devote to because you're, you know, full-time mission. But it, it certainly, that was the first time ever expressing it to anyone? Yeah, which it... I feel like most people typically will tell friends or family first, but I was like, I'm on my mission. I like, and I have all these feelings of guilt and shame that often comes with being queer mm-hmm. within the church. Um, and it just came to a point where I was like, I can't, like I have to tell someone right now. So it just kind of slipped out in the middle of a meeting. Hmm. Um, and then the next letter home is like, dear mom and dad, had the strangest <laughs> experience the other day as I was visiting with my mission president, thought I might, you know, it, 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 <laughs> Did you tell them or did you wait to tell you came home to tell family and friends? Yeah, I told friends. I told a friend while I was still on my mission. And then I told my family when I got home, like the next month or two. And how, what was that reception like? Ooh, it depends on if they're going to hear this or not. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, they were all really good. I think especially given where each of them were with their personal beliefs and church um, activity level at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I think they all responded in the best way that they knew how, which is fair because I responded to myself, honestly, not in a very good way growing up. And so I think they responded better to me than I had responded to myself. Now you reflect that, you know, what you did to yourself growing up at, at what age did you sort of go, Hey, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah. Um, it's quite young for me, actually. I think maybe 10 or 11, I was very constantly thinking, like, I know I don't fit in with other boys. Like, there's something different. Mm -hmm. And then I think at 12, maybe 13, I was like, oh, this is, like, I am queer. Hmm. And from then on, there's just no doubt. Yeah, there's that time, I think, um, and where people sort of push into this a little bit is, like, at 11 or 12, like, nobody feels like that they fit in, right? You're you're just like, I'm awkward. What is these feelings? Oh, my body. What's this hair? (laughs) You know, what all this stuff is going on? And then as you sort of walk it out a little further, then you're like, okay, yeah, it's within my sexuality or, you know, the the attractiveness that that's where it walks out. So Tyler, give me the same kind of rundown for you. Where, where, what, and what, all those things. Yeah. So I came out in so many different stages. So I think I have like three big moments where I talk with church leaders. I talked to my bishop when I was about 14, which was kind of at the beginning of my journey. I just started to understand what was going on. I didn't think of myself as queer at the time. I thought I just liked men's bodies and was so deeply ashamed that my bishop responded actually in the same kind of way. He kind of fed back to me what I was feeding him. Mm. So he was really kind of like unsure and put off. And I had come out to him because of a line in the first strength of youth that said like, you should tell your church leaders if you're experiencing same-sex attraction. So I didn't want to tell him. He didn't want to talk to me about it. 
And we kind of made this truce that we were just not going to talk about it after then, which, you know, was okay. It wasn't bad, but it could have been so much more because mm-hmm. what happened after that, it was for the next 10 years, I didn't talk about it with anybody. Um, I tried to do the same thing with my parents. They were kind of in the same route. I was so ashamed. So they were really put off. So fast forward to when I was about 25 and in the middle of grad school, I was dating a woman and we were like starting to make things work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to tell you something. And that like started my cascade of coming out to a larger number of people. And I spoke with a bishop then, which was much more like Sam's experience with his mission president. Mm -hmm. Bishop was really comforting. And that was what I was needing at that point, right? Like I was really breaking down. He was really there for me. I was in, I was probably elders quorum president at the time. And he was really, again, there for me. He's not a problem for your worthiness. Just keep on. This is all good. Fast forward, maybe two or three years after that, I spent a few years uh, being same-sex attracted in the church and considering myself uh, gay and celibate and gay and dating women. And I kind of shifted after two or three years when it became clear to me that the most the way I could live a flourishing life was going to be in a relationship with a man. And I kind of made that decision, but I stayed engaged with the church for several years after Mm -hmm. and then came out to church leaders at this point, I think in Utah and then in San Francisco and church leaders again were amazing and kind of met me where I was at. Cause at that point I was saying like, look, like, this is me. Like, I'm not looking for anything from you. I just want you to know who I am. And they were like, well, Tyler, we're happy that you're here and we want you to be here with us for as long as you can be, as long as it's helpful and healthy for you. And we're here with, for whatever you need. Hmm. That, I mean, that seems like a, a, a pretty great experience. It's, 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 yeah. it's awesome for me to hear from the both of you to have, unfortunately, some, some poor experiences, but also some really great experiences of, of the message getting through, which is like, Hey, you know what? We love you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how this works, but I know that I love you and we want you here and being able to emphasize that message. And maybe this is a great place to kind of take a break real quick. And when we come back, uh, rather than making it like all positive and then we go all negative, maybe we go back and forth between, you know, something, uh, that, that, Either we do well or are doing well or moving toward doing well, and then something that might be sort of harmful, and we go back and forth for the remainder of the episode and and really be able to help people uh, understand, first of all, what these things are, and second of all, why they may be harmful uh, to, to people that are LGBTQ+. So we'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. In addition to recording this here show and putting it out week over week over week, I've been doing this for over 11 years now, and it has become part of my life that I will teach others how to do the same. Now, not necessarily the same as the cultural hall, but if you are interested in doing a podcast, you've thought, oh man, you know what? I've got this great idea. Uh, I do help folks in a couple different ways. Uh, One is I teach a class. It's got curriculum and assignments and the whole deal uh, that I can be able to help you walk through as you you are looking to start a podcast, uh, or if you're looking for someone to help edit, help uh, produce, help uh, you know consult on a weekly basis with your podcast, you can also reach out to me. And the best way, probably, honestly, to do that is if you find me, Richie T. Stedman, on any social media, that is a great way, or you can always just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to help you out. Would love to talk to you about your idea. Would love to see if it would be something that uh, we could put into to, uh, emotion. Let's do it. 
I almost said put into practice. That doesn't make sense. Uh, send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Culture Hall, don't forget that if you are not a Patreon saint, you can certainly do that. Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Uh, it's how you're able to see the video that's being recorded right now. See the handsome gentlemen that are Sam and Tyler. See their backdrops. Uh, be able to uh, enjoy those videos. The only way that you can do that is if you are a Patreon saint. And you also get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group that exists for all Patreon saints. Check that out at patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. All right, so let's get into it. What is either something that we are doing well as dealing with uh, the counseling of the LGBTQ plus or something that, that we could do that would be uh, move us kind of in that positive way? Yeah, let's start with things that are going well. Um, we So we asked a bunch of different questions. We asked uh, LGBTQ letter to sense, why why do you talk to your leaders? What counsel were you given? What was helpful? What was not helpful? What happened after you talked to them and how did you feel about it? So kind of those six questions were how we organized our thinking. And I we can maybe we should start with just the helpful pieces. And yeah. the one some of the things that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints found most helpful was empathic listening. This idea that my leader is a human and can sit here with me and can just be this human with me as I'm trying to figure out life. And a lot of people say it was really helpful when he just uh, listened, he validated my experience, he was open to understanding what was going on for me. Really didn't offer anything super unique or hard, um, but that was so helpful. And that was, I think most participants said uh, that was a really helpful thing. Can we walk down empathic listening a little bit? Because that that validation piece, I think, is where some people get a little tense and they go, but wait, if I validate LGBTQ plus saints, then they'll think that what they're doing is okay. I'm air quoting okay. And then they'll <laughs> feel like, you know, so so how, how, how do we navigate that space oh. with the doctrine of the church, but we want to be there for the people? How, how can we do that? Yeah, well, that's a million dollar question. I'll yeah. give my thoughts. Maybe Sam can answer it too. Yeah. My, my first thought is that I, as so I, I'm also a therapist and I think that jumping into like a therapist's shoes can be more helpful in this space where you're not actually judging the behavior. You're just kind of saying like, we will let the Lord judge right now for mm-hmm. the next five, 10 minutes. And what I want to do is understand how it is that you're feeling the way that you're feeling. So someone feels really ashamed or really sad and empathic listening piece says like, can I make sense of why you're ashamed or sad? And let me ask questions to help understand why you're feeling what you're feeling. And that's the kind of thing that I think of as just kind of in a different, different realm from whether it's good or bad. It's just saying like, can I understand, can I be compassionate about the difficulties that you're experiencing? And then we can come back to what we do with it, but it's kind of putting all of those questions to the side. What do you think, Sam? What do you have to add to that? Yeah, I love that a lot. I, I'm also seeing clients as a therapist, and 
I found that there's levels to validating, that there's like the full, I validate everything you're saying, like your experience, wow, like everything that you said is true and makes sense. And then sometimes people will say things to me and I have to take a step back and be like, okay, um, I understand that that's your experience. I don't fully maybe buy into everything that you're saying. However, I can validate like, wow, that sounds like you're really going through a lot. That sounds like really difficult to carry every day. And so validating for a church leader doesn't have to mean let's throw all our beliefs away. It can mean validate what you can validate and help the person feel heard and seen. And I think that's such a powerful, easy tool that anybody can use. So if someone's listening to this and maybe they don't have um, much experience with LGBTQ plus folks, uh, I think that maybe they get a little what tongue tied or something like that. Like they don't want to ask the wrong question. Like they all, they're all about like wanting to ask questions and help understand. But, but there is that fear that exists within them. That's like, what if I call you queer, but you're gay or what if I, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if I say something wrong and, and, Oh, I don't want to say anything wrong. And so often we, we err on the, well, I'm not going to say anything rather than say something wrong in this empathic listening. What do we do about that? That is, such a good question and came up in our study. Uh, we had participants say that one of the common things they were told from leaders was no answers. And it went both ways where we had people say, my leader didn't have answers for me. Like they avoided the question that was really harmful. Mm-hmm. And we had others say, my leader just said, I don't know what to do. And that was super connecting and helpful. Just kind of joining in this space of not knowing. We also had participants really reiterate to us that they think that their leaders are doing the best they can. It was over half of our sample who just said like, look, people are doing the best they can. We understand that this is difficult for bishops and stake presidents. So I think that's a really important thing to hold in, hold in mind as a leader is that there is some grace given and that you don't need to know everything, that if you can be open about where you're at, that's actually a bigger entree. I find myself doing this a lot with people as a therapist and just in general, when I hear something that I really don't know anything about, I can, I can share that pretty openly and say, I, that sounds really complicated. I don't know a lot about this. Can you help me understand? Or give me a minute, I'm gonna do some research over the next week and understand more so that I can get better why you're feeling what you're feeling. Hmm. See, and I think about how I would practice that, and I think I'd say something like, I'm a dummy, so help me understand. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, like, being able to admit, hey, you know what, I don't know, really opens the opportunity to be able to listen and learn from the other person, because you are, in fact, listening and learning, not just giving that, you know, that... Uh, you know, so the- much better than having someone give advice that's, like, really out there, because I think a lot of times leaders feel pressured to say or do something, because people are feeling so tormented. And I think it's much better to say, I don't know. Let me sit here with you than it is to say, well, here, you should read your scriptures or pray more. I'm like, well, thank you. I, I already <laughs> knew that. That is not helpful to me. Yeah. You don't get what I'm talking about. All right. Well, Sam, I want to turn to you then a little bit. Maybe let's let's share something that was like, ooh, this is a, this is a hard part of this study that maybe <sighs> is, not, is not going altogether that well. Some may say harmful, destructive, <laughs> Yeah, uh, darkening, dampening, <laughs> weakening. All the <laughs> big words. Um, I so I conducted the interviews, and I sometimes found it really difficult because when we got to this question of what's not helpful or what's difficult for you, a lot of people, like it was very clear that they were having a difficult time talking about it. Um, 
Um, I think one of the biggest themes that we took away that was unhelpful was kind of this general category of being punished, being judged, being pathologized. So saying you being gay means that you're sick, like let's get you into an addiction recovery program, mm. that kind of thing. Um, and it was quite a pervasive theme that we found is that in all these different ways, LGBTQ members are being shamed sometimes for being hurt or punished because they come out to church leaders, which is just seen as a very clear, unhelpful thing. And if I can piggyback off that, I think there's there's a distinction within church, like I want to say doctrine, but there's ways to do that that are clearly like not Christ-like. And then there are ways that may be at least experienced by the leaders more Christ-like. So there's an element of like, pathologizing and saying that's bad or wrong to be LGBTQ that the church doesn't believe. The church says it's okay to experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. That's just part of your experience. And so leaders who are saying that there's something wrong with you or that you need to fix this are actually going against church teachings over here. Then there were some pieces over here that were ex were take experienced negatively by uh, interviewees that may have come from better places within leaders. So we had people talk about being excommunicated for like, same-sex sexual behavior or for gender transitions. And they said, wow, that hurt. I didn't like that. And that's a stickier spot because in that space, the leader's kind of enacting the church's teachings. Um, so I think if from a leader's perspective, I kind of would branch and say, well, what are the pieces that I can control that are allowing where I can give a positive experience that are kind of within my jurisdiction? How do we navigate the 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 shame that kind of comes from this, right? I, I Having the opportunity to interview um, several LGBTQ plus folks for the cultural hall here, you know, having the opportunity to speak with several of them and, and hearing their story where they, when they served a mission, it was a deal with God that they made so that God could, would make them straight or kneeling and just praying for, for God to take, you know, their gay away. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course that's not how it works and it didn't, you know, that, you know, it isn't walked out that way. Um, but, but the shame that maybe isn't even given from other people to them, but that shame that they feel individually, like how, how do we eliminate that? Because it's not me saying, man, Sam, Tyler, you should feel terrible. It's Sam saying to Sam, man, I should feel terrible. How, how do we eliminate that or, or lessen that? or empathize with that. What do we do with that? Help me. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to harken back to those empathic listening skills that we talked about. I think to a degree, at least, because a lot of LGBTQ members will come in to talk to church leaders and they will be like feeling really down about themselves, already be experiencing some shame, maybe judging themselves. And so like even small-ish responses like that from church leaders can just exacerbate the problem. Whereas if there's some empathic listening skills used of, let me hear you out. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Um, I want you to know I'm here for you. I'm open, like help me learn. I think that's a really clear way to avoid kind of the shame cycle and the judging and maybe even to help the individual lessen those internal experiences as well. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I think about not to be sacrilegious. I have a like psychology goddess, and her name is Brene Brown. Uh -huh. And never she, heard of her. Does she write? <laughs> did, does she do anything? Is she in the space at all? A little bit of empathy, maybe. Mm. But she talks a lot about how shame is uh, related to connection, and that the antidote to shame is connection and sharing. 
And I think when we're thinking about LGBTQ plus folks, we're thinking about if we're looking to get rid of shame, we're wanting to promote connection. And so empathic listening, like Sam said, is one piece. I think another piece is encouraging openness. Uh, we know some of our participants said, because I talked to my leader, I actually felt more open in my ward or branch. And like the leader helped me come out to the ward or branch. That was really positive for me. And I think that's a mentality that can be really helpful for leaders to take is saying like, hey, thank you for sharing me this with me. This is awesome. Let's, this is something that doesn't need to be hidden. No matter what you're doing with it, like it's okay to let other people know so that they can be part and support you as a ward or branch family should and could support you. And that kind of movement, I think, really helps to eliminate or reduce shame. What, what else within the study, as far as either helpful or not so helpful, did you guys find? Anything that surprised you? Ooh. I, yeah. So I was conducting the interviews. And about halfway through, I, there was just like this trend that I noticed where individuals, not even as part of any of the questions that we asked, but they would almost all say, I like had this bad thing happen or I expected this bad thing to happen. And I've heard so many horror stories. I'm really glad that didn't happen to me. And some people shared like really horrific experiences. And then they were like, but I've heard stories and it could be way worse. Now we're talking about like the coming out something, not like I heard yeah. a friend got hit in a car accident and died. <laughs> right. We're talking about, yeah. I, I, okay. So, in so the coming out, the, the sharing of this, man, it wasn't great, but I've heard just absolute horror stories. Yeah. So in terms of coming out to church leaders specifically, there was this kind of common sense between almost all participants. I think all but two or three that when we come out to church leaders, it's going to go really, really poorly and bad things will happen. Um, and then almost all of them, if not all, afterward were like, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And so it was just such an intriguing finding. Um, and it's something that I experienced as well coming out like to bishops during my undergraduate, um, where I had some quite negative experiences, but I also had in the back of my head, wow, this could and probably should have been a lot worse, but it wasn't. So I feel lucky for that. Hmm. Unpack that a little. Do you think that that is a a blessing because it's a perspective where it's like I'm prepared for the absolute worst, and now it's not the absolute worst, or yeah. is it, or is it a terrible thing that we're stigmatizing people and and in a way sort of judging those who are going to judge over us before they judge us because we'll get you first. Oh, we're okay. <laughs> I think yes to both. Okay. Um, at least for myself, it really kind of stopped me from talking to church leaders for a long time. Hmm when that might have been a source of support. Um, and on the flip side, I might've had some negative experiences. And so it may have been a bit protective there as well. Um, and also kind of like I had this bad experience at BYU where I came out to a bishop and he said like, okay, things in the moment. But then all of my professors in my classes told me the next day, hey, we got an email from the bishop. Like he told us to keep an eye out on you. And if we saw you do anything gay that we need to tell him, so just know that that happened. Um, and even that, like, that's obviously not a good thing to go through. And I remember walking home and being like, kind of upset at the bishop, but also at least he didn't like, I don't know, do something worse. And that felt protective. of like, wow, I'm still like kind of lucky, kind of blessed, hashtag. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Like, uh, Keep an eye, because who knows? In class, you know we. <laughs> okay, but I, but okay. Yeah, you know, 
I thought, I don't know. I don't have a comment on Sam's experience too. That's pretty <laughs> terrible. I think I, in a lot of ways, this idea, I don't fault uh, Latter-day Saints at all. I think this is like an LGBTQ thing that we see for LGBTQ people more broadly is that it's really scary to come out. And for a lot of people, we kind of expect the worst before coming out. And it's just safer and easier. And it's like a function of the fear. If I feel so scared about this and I'm going to project that onto other people. The bigger takeaway for me is that for leaders, for bishops take presidents, that it's so important to understand that that is what people are coming to you with. That mm-hmm. they're saying like, I expect things to go terribly. I am so scared. So you may need to be like more warm and like more <laughs> open to like coax it out of people because they're coming with their guard higher up. Uh, you know, having a, a recent experience, and I've shared this sort of briefly here in the cultural hall, I had a, a friend, a colleague at work who uh, came out to me. Uh, I wasn't the first one that he came out to, but he was like, hey, you know, do you have a minute? I'd love to be able to speak with you. A- and very quickly, I'm like, oh, this is what's happening. <laughs> All right. I got to remember everything that I've ever remembered because I want to be. I want to be a positive experience and I want to, I want to be loving. Okay. And, and I want to, you know, make sure. And, and, and the thing, the thing is like very quickly, I just sort of laughed at myself a little bit and I'm like, you, you love this guy. It doesn't matter. You know, you'll listen to him. You'll tell him you love him because you loved him anyway. You'll give him a hug and say, thank you for sharing this thing with me. And I just was like, and, and then the thing that was kind of cool uh, you know, we, the conversation was 10 or 15 minutes, but then, you know, I left and, and, and he went into work and I was like, yeah, that's right. He trusts me well enough to be able to, to share that with me. And, and, and truthfully, like it has been a connecting thing where it's like, yeah, you know what? I, I got you. You know that it's not any, not anything is different for me with you than you with me or anything like that. And, and you know, 20 years ago, for me, I would have never uh, expected that f- from me. You know, uh, I never knew anyone that was gay before I served a mission all throughout um, high school. Like I always wanted to, you know, dance and and take that as a, as a discipline in school. But I was like, if you take dance classes, you'll be gay, and I don't want to be gay, so I can't take. You know what I'm saying? And then met someone on my mission, uh, a mission companion who was, you know just a regular mission companion. He's like, yeah, I, I danced in college before I came here and it's great. And I was like, well, how about that? And you're not gay. And he's like, no. And I was like, so you can, so hold on, you can dance. And anyway, so then came home, enrolled in the discipline, finally feeling like I was doing, you know, what I wanted to do and, and just loving it. And so all that to say the journey from like, you can't take a dance class or you'll be gay to, Hey, let me tell you something, man. I love you. This is great. I I think it's just a thing that I love to share because I I think that that change can occur and that you can you can grow as a person as far as this goes. Because I don't even recognize the twenty years ago person. Yeah, Rich, you didn't clarify for us though. Did dancing make you gay? Uh, no, no, married <laughs> twice. I've been married oh two times. <laughs> Twice as straight. Yeah. yeah. I am so straight. I did it one time and didn't like it and found another one that I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. I love what you highlight that if we can trust ourselves, it's like, you know, I know I'm a good person. I know that I love this person. 
that that is more helpful for the interaction too. The more I can just like sink back into this is okay. Like all that they need from me is to be a human with them in this moment. They don't need anything extra or special just to listen. That that makes the interaction go better. Some some element of this too, and I think that this becomes less and less of an excuse. But walked out in the example that I shared is is exposure, right? Some people don't haven't ever known anyone, and so like you have the parents, then the kid is their their first experience with someone that is queer, and then they go, oh no, I feel different because you are my kid, and of course I love you, and so then they have the dissonance of being like. Oh, okay, well, everything that I thought about this thing is different because this person whom I love is this is queer, and so how do I juggle and all that? And then they're able to come to it where you oh. know otherwise they may not have ever been brought to the table to even face uh, that situation. Yeah, and we found this in the interviews too. We found people saying what was unhelpful for my leaders is when they had no <clears throat> experience or knowledge of LGBTQ plus individuals or. They also said things like, my, it was clear that my leader's kind of worldview was pretty small, that they just didn't know a lot of different people, mm-hmm. which made them have like less flexibility in the uh, direction that they gave me. And so one of our like digested takeaways is that it's really helpful for leaders to just familiarize them with the stories of LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. And there's loads of good resources for that. Uh, Voices of Hope has a project with videos and descriptions of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. North Star and Affirmation both have really great resources. So interested leaders or members can spend time just listening to stories so that they have some sort of framework for the unique experiences of LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. And there's some other great uh, podcasts that I would shout out as well. Richard Osler, Papa Osler's podcast is really great. Um, and, uh, Ben Shalati and Charlie birds Questions from the closet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, and, there, and those are really great too, because you can, if, if, if this is where you're at and this will seem maybe silly to the three of us, but if you're like, man, I don't, I don't want anyone to know, you know what I'm doing. Like you, you can get it on your podcast app and you can listen to it and, you know, no one that, you know, the, uh, the, the gay police that were looking at you in school to make sure that you weren't doing anything in all your classes. Like that's not a real thing. And it's a great way for you to be able to listen and learn and love as Papa Osler kind of walks out. Uh, so, so wonderful and so important in just every, in LGBTQ plus folks journeys and straight and heterosexual people's or cisgender folks journeys is just learning, learning more. And those resources are so good. Let's take a break. We'll come back in the third block and uh, get any more surprises that you got from the study and what you really want us all to take away. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hi, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Oh, hey, is this seat taken? My name is Kurt Frankham from the Leading Saints podcast, and it's about time I make it to the back row of the Cultural Hall and tell you what's happening. Your friends over at Leading Saints are organizing another virtual conference, and this time we're talking about how do we lead the rising generation. We're calling it the Young Saints Virtual Conference. That's right. How do we lead 12-year-olds and beyond into church and even the young adults? They live in a different world than many of us when we were young, and they face unique challenges. 
So we've gathered 20 plus presenters who have unique experience working with youth and finding success. To get all the details and to see who is speaking and what topics will be covered, visit leadingsaints.org slash youth. You can find the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org slash youth. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, you know, cool thing that I found out the other day, uh, if you are a Facebook fan of the Cultural Hall, you can actually go and leave us a review for this show. I didn't know that Facebook allows you to do that. Uh, the one review that the Cultural Hall has right now is a spam review, and I can get some really great Ray-Ban sunglasses, but the the benefit is, is I found out that now you can leave reviews on Facebook. So find us at the Cultural Hall, leave a review for the show there. Uh, love to hear it, and maybe we'll share it in a future episode. Gentlemen, uh, we've only got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we get out anything uh, that you feel like, man, this is this is a meaty takeaway, and either we've only touched on it or we haven't even gotten there. So Sam, walk me to somewhere that uh, that you want to share. Yeah. So one of the questions that we asked toward the end of the interview was, like what happened because of the counsel that you received or because of your interaction with church leaders um, and the the impacts of the council ended up being really quite large hmm. where some participants ended up nuancing, kind of changing their faith. Some people reported losing their faith. Um, and then there were some that engaged more with the church and some that disengaged, some that really, like the interactions really harmed the mental health. Um, and then again, kind of hearkening back to Brene Brown and Shame there was kind of a loss of connection with church members in some cases. And so for us, one of the really big takeaways that we want church leaders to know is that this is actually a really high stakes endeavor. Like it really actually matters what you say and how you act with these people, because there's quite big consequences. Um, and those can be positive or negative. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, that to me is one of the things that I think is so intimidating about church leadership because, I mean, where, where you guys are uh, counselors or studying to be counselors or working in the counseling, you know, that whole thing, like you, you are accustomed or certainly training to be accustomed to those things. And, you know, you have John Jensen who works at the, the car auto, you know, uh, mechanic shop nine to five. And, you know, he loves God and he wants to serve Christ and, and he gets called into that position and, and goes, hey, yeah, I may have these lasting impacts on... <laughs> These individuals who come in, bring it on, I hope. Like that just that that to me is one of the things that if we can you know take a second and pause, like those leaders that really just try and do everything the best they can, we know that they make mistakes, but that is just the hardest thing that I can ever think to have be done on, you know, on, on that end. And then, you know, dealing with anything, right. Adultery in your ward, right. You have these people that come in and you're like, uh, I don't know. I was just, I was just fixing a car, the transmission, um, don't sleep around anymore. I don't know. It's so hard. And I think it's really encouraging that at least our participants recognize that they said our leaders are doing the best they can. Most of them are trying to do well. I think it also makes sense if you step back developmentally for a lot of LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints who grow up in the church, there's such strong encouragement in the church to share with leaders when you're experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, that leaders are often getting people at the very beginning of their journey, which Mm. for better or for worse, I think is why it's so impactful is because uh, LGBTQ plus individuals are coming and saying, I don't know what to do with this. Like you're one of the first like five people I've ever told And therefore, what you say is going to actually matter a little bit more than it might if I came to you 
10 years down the road when I'm already out. So a, a question that has sort of popped into my mind that I would ask of the two of you, and it's a little personal, so you can perfectly say, you know, no, thank you. But but the question is, is do you feel like if leadership would have handled your questions or your, you know, conversations about your queerness, do you do you feel like you would be in a different situation with the church than you presently are? <clears throat> it's a very like provocative question. <laughs> um, I think for myself, yes, but probably not like incredibly so. I think especially like that situation I talked about with the Bishop of BYU, that was the last church leader I talked to about um, my sexual identity for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for myself, it still would have made sense to kind of step away from the church just with my life trajectory. Um, but I think I would probably have a bit more of a positive outlook, specifically on leadership and kind of the people of the church as opposed to church teachings and doctrines. Because I don't think my interaction with that bishop affected my faith. It just affected my view on church leaders. Yeah, I think I, I've, I can feel like tears welling up as I think about it, which I, on one hand, the answer is no. I think the church doctrine has been really clear and when the November policy came out about same-sex couples being married, that was just like a really clear watershed moment for me and would have happened kind of regardless of what church leaders had done. But when I think back to 15 or 14 year old Tyler who came out to his Bishop and his Bishop reacted with a lot of fear and shame, like the same thing I was bringing. And I wonder, I deeply wonder what would have happened if the Bishop had been like, that's awesome. Or that's okay. You don't need to be scared of this. This is something good to be feeling or fine to be feeling. Maybe I would have come out at 21 instead of 25, or maybe I would have felt less like guilt and shame for the next 10 years. So I, maybe not with my membership in the church, but I actually think my life would have been pretty different if my bishop or, or my parents or someone would have reacted differently when I shared with them initially. Closing moments of uh, our conversation. What what do we need to take away? What What from this study... I'm a leader or I'm a friend. Uh, I want to be available to, to people, however that may work. Not all of us are going to have the opportunity to serve in the leadership. What, what's our big takeaways? I'll give you guys each two. Tyler, you get two. Sam, you get two. And you're going to go every other one. So <laughs> Sam, you go first. Yes, cool. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways is the empathic listening skills being so helpful. It's such a clear takeaway of it doesn't really matter too much the counsel that you give what lgbtq members are finding most helpful is just feeling heard and feeling loved and that's something that everybody can do like you don't have to know the right words to say just be a person with them love love it my first takeaway is that there are a lot of different reasons why LGBTQ Latter-day Saints go to talk to leaders, which we didn't really touch on too much, but mm -hmm. sometimes they want comfort and guidance. Sometimes they wanted to be open. Sometimes they wanted to repent. Sometimes they were just going for a, like a baptismal or temple recommend interview. And it's so important that leaders understand why people are talking about gender or sexuality and so mm -hmm. they can adapt accordingly. A leader who, <clears throat> when someone's coming just to be open, who dives into repentance is going to that's going to be received really poorly versus if someone's coming and wanting to repent and the leader helps them repent. Hmm. Okay. I like that. That is a piece that we didn't talk about is know what the uh, individual is there for in, in specific. So I like that. All right, Sam, number two. Yeah. I think 
specifically of the messages that the LGBTQ people wanted their church leaders to know. Um, but there was this sense of, first of all, I am kind of expecting to be mistreated a bit when I come out to church mm-hmm. leaders. However, I'm going, like, I have a lot of grace. I recognize that you are just a person, that you're not really trained specifically in this area. And so, like, if I'm coming to you, that really tells a lot, either about where I'm at and how much I need to come out to you or about how much I trust you. Um, And I, it's okay if you mess up. It's okay if you don't know. It's okay to say, like, I'm not really sure, but let's figure this out together. All right, Tyler, it's to you. Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat on this one. I The last takeaway is that we want, Sam and I want to continue to help leaders understand more. So we are launching a maybe year or two long project where we're hoping to talk with ward and state councils about our findings. We've got a five minute presentation that we'd love to share with folks, ward and state councils, which is basically what we've shared. So if folks listening are interested, they can contact me at tyler.lefever at usu.edu or look at our webpage, which is lgbtqmormonresearch.com. We would love to come share more and just continue this kind of dialogue with people. And I'll make sure that I provide those links in the show notes so that people can just click on them because they'll be like, what the, what the, uh, I'll just click on it in the show notes. <laughs> uh, Tyler, Sam, there is a question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. And I will ask that question of you guys right now. Uh, I ask you to interpret it however you may. And whoever would like to go first gets to go first. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Ooh. I mean, need a second. That's a <laughs> I think I got an answer. I can jump in. I I love sugar and board games, and that's part of my faith tradition. Uh, I think the things that being LDS gave me was a real appreciation for fun in life and for deep connections that are built. We're usually built around gospel themes, but I've kind of expanded that out into just building deep connections and engaging in kind of fun, lighthearted types of things that a lot of my friends who aren't LDS don't have and they really don't get. It's all like going to the bar and drinking or, I don't know, going out to restaurants and eating. And I think that growing up LDS gave me a lot of just like different ways to connect to people. Yeah, this almost feels like cheating now because it's somewhat similar. Um, I feel like my favorite part about my faith in whatever stage of life I've been at is the feeling of community and belonging. Um, where growing up in the church, I really felt like I belonged there for a long time. Um, and it was just like, if I had an issue or something, I knew the people that I would talk to. Um, and now at this current stage of life, I still have a sense of community and a sense of belonging with people. And it's the same thing. It just feels so nice to have those people and to know, like, I belong here. That's such a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, Tyler Lefever. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Skidmore, uh, we, I'm teasing. It's Tyler Lefevre, Sam Skidmore. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here in the cultural hall. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Debbie Wanless, Rick McGee, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, Brother Brent, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the